Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. What I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something... Other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Welcome in, everybody. Episode 242 of the podcast. The Sweeping America, the Aerator Sports Podcast. People, did AT do it again? Or did AT do it again? So many great guests that I am delivering for you guys. And again, I know I've said it a million times, but I certainly hope all of you guys are holding up well during these crazy quarantine times. It looks like, hopefully, knock on wood, we are getting past this. We will have some clarity here in the near future as this week both golf and baseball put together real proposals to get back on the field. So it looks like we are getting back to normalcy. But in the meantime, I am doing what I can to entertain you. Last week, Jim Calhoun, the Hall of Famer. This week, Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year. If you missed either of those interviews, please go back and check them out. But today's episode, Mason Jones, Honorable Mention All-American, University of Arkansas. And I already know what you're thinking. AT, I'm not an Arkansas fan. I don't care what this kid has to say. Let me tell you this. Mason Jones was one of the best interviews that I have ever done on this podcast. This was a kid, for people who don't know his background, he is the younger brother of Matt Jones, who played at Duke a few years ago, won a national championship, and really largely lived his his life in Matt Jones' shadow. He didn't play basketball early on in his high school career. He actually ballooned up to 270 pounds when he was in high school, and he admitted on the show. Uh, later on, later on in the show, in the interview, I played video games. I ate. I snacked. I didn't care about myself. I had low self-esteem. And he talks about the process of losing weight, of gaining confidence, and becoming eventually an All-American in Arkansas. When I tell you that this is one of the best interviews that I have ever done on the show, I am so proud of this interview, and I'm so proud of this kid. And I think you will enjoy it if you stick around. Before we get to that, two quick topics I do want to hit on. One... Boy, did I make Big Blue Nation mad this week. Matt Harms, a transfer from Purdue, has entered the transfer portal. He is probably the most high-profile transfer available. I'll hit on him, and I tweeted out that I just frankly don't think that he's a good fit at Kentucky. I got Big Blue Nation so mad at me. So I will talk about why I don't believe he's a good fit, why he still may end up at Kentucky, but I don't believe he'll be a great fit. And then after that, I will get into these Mike Gundy comments because, listen, 
you know how the social media works. You know how the internet works. Uh, anybody says anything remotely controversial or trips over their words or whatever, uh, they get crushed. And Mike Gundy is universally getting crushed. I actually don't think what he said is all that bad. So I will get into all of that. And then Mason Jones, as I mentioned, and an unbelievable interview that you guys will love. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. You can do it on Pod. Bean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars like my buddy Mike underscore 2018 Mike said. He said, not Rachel's voice. And for people who don't know, I always shout out Rachel who hates my voice, who I met in Vegas at our big get together. Her husband is a listener of this show, loves this show, uh, but he plays it in the car and I drive Rachel crazy. So this person uh, titled his post, Not Rachel's Voice, and he said, When I first started listening, I thought Aaron was a little bit full of himself, but in an entertaining and self-deprecating manner. Truth is, AT is usually spot on with his commentary, has outstanding analytical insight, and brings on terrific guests. I love how he presents a topic, walks the listener through the backdrop, and then offers his opinion. He is a must-listen if you want insight into college basketball and wish to be entertained in one. Nostra Torres is awesome. So thank you, Mike underscore 2018 underscore Mike. Uh, And if you guys want to leave good reviews like Mike underscore 2018 underscore Mike, do that. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I'm sorry that I'm putting you through all this. Also, I should mention, by the way, make sure to rate and review the show uh, like Mike did. Make sure to follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. I'm posting all sorts of clips and pictures and videos of the show. And finally, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people, no more time to waste. Enough nonsense. Let's talk. Let's get into it. Because like I said, earlier this week, whoa, buddy. Did I get Big Blue Nation up in a tizzy? Uh, And I would add, by the way, the last couple times I've gotten all of Big Blue Nation against me, uh, I've ended up being right. I believe the last time that I actually said something that pissed people off was uh, two off-seasons ago when it appeared as though P.J. Washington was going to stay in the NBA draft and it appeared as though Reed Travis was going to come to Kentucky. And I said very simply, if you're asking me to pick one, I'd rather have sophomore P.J. Washington than fifth-year senior Reed Travis. Um, and UK fans got mad. Ooh, you can't say that. He's the Pac-12 player of the year. And I said... I don't really care. I'm just telling you, P.J. Washington's a better player. Turns out Kentucky got both. P.J. Washington was an All-American, and A.T. was right about that one. But let's get into what happened earlier this week. So the big story in college basketball right now is everybody's trying to kind of fill out their roster, and some guys, there's still a couple high school guys left, which we'll talk about over the next couple weeks as they commit, Greg Brown, Jalen Green, uh, Josh Christopher. And then there is uh, the grad transfer market and the transfer market. And so one of the big names that entered the market this week was Matt Harms, a center from Purdue. Seven foot three, big kid, goofy hair. Uh, he's pretty hard to miss. And if you've watched any Purdue games over the last couple seasons, then you know exactly who I am talking about. So he enters the portal. Um, and he is, a, again, a prominent, well-known name. He is a guy that actually started for Purdue's final 
Elite Eight, excuse me, they did not make the Final Four because of a buzzer beater against Virginia, but they play in the Elite Eight. He's a starter. Everybody kind of knows him. You remember him, the big goofy hair. He enters the portal, and immediately, of course, naturally, just about every fan base in America is interested. Uh, I do have, of course, because I wrote the book One in Fun about Kentucky basketball because of the fact that I do help out with uh, K- Kentucky Sports Radio's coverage of the national college basketball scene. I have a lot of college basketball fans from the state of Kentucky that follow me. Um, and th- a lot of them, when Matt Harms entered the portal, asked me point blank, Torres, do you think Kentucky has a chance? And do you think we should go get him? And I said, look, I absolutely think they have a chance. But I'll be honest, I don't really see the fit. And it's nothing personal, it's nothing against the kid, it's nothing against the school, but I just don't see the fit um, when it comes to Matt Harms and the University of Kentucky. And so, real quick, I'll read the tweet that I put out, and then we'll get into the reaction, but what I said very simply was this, as I find the tweet, I said, I hate to be a buzzkill, but since many have asked, I just don't see the Matt Harms-Kentucky fit. He wants a place to showcase his NBA skill set, which is code for I want to shoot threes, and John Calipari wants his low post players to play in the actual post. The fit makes no sense to me. I then followed up. We'll write about it later today, which I did, but here is the article where Harms discusses wanting a place to showcase his skill set. Not saying it can or won't happen, but again, I simply don't see the fit at all. Seem like a pretty harmless thing to say. I don't think that one kid fits one program. But oh my goodness, you would have thought, by the way, that I said that John Calipari was working with Al-Qaeda. That John Calipari released the coronavirus on America. That's how people reacted to it. Like, God forbid, AT doesn't think that a kid from Purdue who averaged eight points per game last year is the second coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Please forgive me. I apologize. I am so sorry that I do not think that Matt Harms is the next coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and that John Calipari can turn him into a hybrid Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns uh, superstar. I don't don't think it. And so I apologize. So I apologize. And I'm obviously being tongue-in-cheek. And I think a lot of Kentucky fans kind of got where I'm coming from and I'm kind of lumping the ones that uh, don't that disagreed with me uh, into one. And so listen, let's just talk it out. As Mike underscore 2018 underscore Mike said, that's what I like to do. I like to talk it out with you guys, let you know where I'm coming from, and you're always welcome to agree or disagree. Uh, in the case of harms, what I think, what, what, what really, and what I'll backtrack and say is, is that I think after I tweeted out what I did, um, I think I realized that there's really kind of two different conversations to be had about the kid, about Kentucky, about a potential fit. And I think the two separate conversations are this. The first one is, does simply, could, could, could Kentucky use him? And the answer is unequivocally yes. That part I will not disagree with. The bottom line is that even before uh, the season ended, when it became clear that Nick Richards was almost certainly going to leave, and that EJ Montgomery would at least consider it, I always felt like, okay, they're going to need another big guy. No disrespect to the two freshman big guys that they have coming in next year, but that Kentucky's going to need another big guy. Like, like they are going to need somebody else in the grad transfer market. And so I've kind of expected them for a little while to go after a grad transfer. I'm surprised it took as long as Matt Harms to really get active in the transfer market. But if you're just telling me, AT, the kid's seven foot three, he's played in the Big Ten, he can help us, okay. I don't disagree with that. I can rock with that. I can see where you're coming from. And I'm not going to disagree with that. But what I said from the beginning and what I stand by and what I'm sticking with is if you're asking me, will he be a good fit? 
And will he be like hyper productive at Kentucky? I don't believe that he will. And again, it's nothing personal. It's just my personal opinion. And it's a fact. It's not a fact. It's an opinion. But it's going to be proven fact, just like P.J. Washington was. But very simply, it's this. So I think what you have to understand is, first of all, you got to understand who the kid is. Kid, again, seven foot three, big, lanky kid. Um, and if you really watched him, you know, Purdue kind of stuck him in the low post. And like, he's okay in the low post, but he's about seven foot three, I think 250 pounds. He's super lanky, super skinny. And so because of that, um, you know, he is a guy that just, he's not very good in the post. He's, he's efficient enough but he's so skinny that it's so hard for him to have success in the post. And so what I truly believe is that he kind of wants a a place that is going to show off more of what he believes to be his skill set, which is he wants to shoot more, he wants to play on the perimeter more. Not saying he can't play in the post, just saying that I think he wants a place that will be a little more kind of open for him to play his style. I don't think that place is Kentucky. If there's one thing that we've learned through the years about John Calipari, It is that he wants his low post guys to stay in the low post. It's not my opinion. That is basically a fact. And when guys have fought against that, they have had problems. Scalabissier was never a low post player. Calipari tries to stick him in the post. He's not productive at all. Calipari admitted after the season, I probably should have let the kid do more of what he does well. Scalabissier leaves. How about this past season? EJ Montgomery. E.J. Montgomery wants to hang out on the perimeter, wants to shoot 15-foot jumpers. I don't know if he's capable of it or not. He did not show it in games, but it's very clear that's what he wants to do and that John Calipari was not happy with that. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact that's what he wanted to do because E.J. Montgomery's dad said the other day that he doesn't believe that his son was uh, you know, kind of featured in that offense. And that's no disrespect to John Calipari. That's no disrespect to E.J. Montgomery. It's a fact. John Calipari wants his big guys playing down low. Go back. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, two of the most versatile big guys in the sport of basketball, maybe the two most versatile big guys in the sport of basketball right now. Neither of them played on the perimeter. Carl Anthony Towns basically showed like 20% of what he was capable of doing when he was at Kentucky. He ran down to the low post. He called for the ball. He had a nice little jump hook, but he wasn't shooting three-pointers. And I can tell you this. I interviewed Carl Anthony Towns' high school coach for a piece I did at FoxSports.com at the time. And the coach told me Carl was our best three-point shooter in high school. But Cal didn't let him do that. And by the way, he wasn't criticizing Cal. He was just stating facts. Cal does not let his big guys play on the perimeter. That is a fact. That is indisputable. And everybody said, well, you know, uh, Nick Richards. Nick Richards didn't shoot. How many threes did Nick Richards shoot? He shot a 15-foot jumper. That's all he did, and he proved time and time again that he could make it. Patrick Patterson, DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, they shot threes. DeMarcus Cousins averaged 10 boards a game. DeMarcus Cousins was in the post. Now, did he shoot threes at times? Yes, That doesn't mean that he was a three-point shooter. I think even DeMarcus Cousins would say, I had more to offer. Cal held me back. That's kind of the running joke, right? Cal held me back. DeMarcus Cousins said that. It came out of his mouth. That's not my opinion. It's what he said. Patrick Patterson, same thing. He averaged eight boards a game. Did he shoot threes? Yeah, but he also had DeMarcus Cousins down low. This kid's seven foot three. And so with this kid, I don't know him. I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to anybody at Purdue. But it seems very apparent that he felt like he could do more than what he was allowed to showcase at Purdue. That's his opinion. I'm not arguing with it. What I am saying is, I don't think Kentucky's going to be the place to do it. 
the exact quote that the kid used was, I want to show off my NBA skill set. NBA skill set doesn't mean I want to go in the post and call for the ball and, you know, uh, what do they, post up somebody. He wants to hang out on the perimeter. He wants to shoot threes. He wants to put the ball on the floor. That's what an NBA skill set is because in the NBA, the five men have to be able to handle the ball, have to be able to dribble, have to be able to shoot. That's where the NBA is going. I don't know if the kid is capable of it, but it's clear that's what he wants to do. And I don't think he's going to do it at Kentucky. And by the way, that's the other thing that Kentucky... Well, if he shows he could do it, Calipari will let him. Maybe, but guess what? Calipari's got five other guys that want to show off what they can do for the NBA. And by five, I mean a whole roster. And by a whole roster, I mean there's going to be four other guys on the court at the same time. Do you really want your seven-foot-three guys shooting threes because it's good for his NBA stock? Stop it. Stop it. And so, first of all, stop comparing a kid. By the way, this was what drove me crazy. Well, DeMarcus Cousins did it. Well, DeMarcus Cousins is an NBA All-Star. This kid averaged eight points a game at Purdue last year. Stop telling me that this kid is... Stop comparing him to DeMarcus Cousins. Stop it. Just stop. And then second of all, we have to be realistic who he is and what he will bring to the table. And the other thing we have to be realistic is of what we want. Of what he wants, excuse me. Because this has been the one thing, and this isn't even about this kid, but I told you guys a few days ago, the cool thing about this quarantine, if such a thing exists... And there's obviously very serious health issues, and I'm not saying that it's great that we're in quarantine. But I'm getting a lot of people on the phone that I otherwise normally wouldn't be able to. And the one sentiment that I've heard from so many people about the trans... I've talked to coaches a lot about transfers and stuff like that. And the one thing they tell me is the hardest thing that we're having to do right now is figure out who these transfers are and what they want from their next program. And this isn't a Matt Harms thing, Okay. This is not a Matt Harms thing. This has nothing to do with him. This is a generality about transfers. I have not talked to Matt Harms. I don't know anybody who is recruiting him. So I'm not saying that I'm speaking for a coach about Matt Harms. I'm just speaking in generalities. And the biggest thing that you have to do when you're taking a transfer, especially a grad transfer, you got to figure out what it's about with that kid. Because at a place like Kentucky, um, I'm all out of breath because I've been screaming and yelling about DeMarcus Cousins. Comparing pe- people are comparing a seven foot three kid from Amsterdam to DeMarcus Cousins. Stop. But you know the thing with transfers that you always have to consider is what do they want, and especially a grad transfer. Listen, it's no disrespect; it's a reality. It's their last year in college basketball, and they want to be able to showcase themselves as best they can. We all want to be put in a position where we're going to have success and we're going to be the best version of ourselves. I get it. I understand how the game's played. It's the same in my walk of life. I want a boss that believes in me. You want a boss that believes in you. You want a coach that believes in you. I get that. That's not what this is about. But is it going to be to the detriment of the team? As I talk to more coaches, that's what they're struggling with, especially because they can't get kids on campus for face-to-face interviews. I've had a a coach was telling me the other day, they were recruiting a kid, played at one of these small kind of low major schools, and the kid's taking 19 shots a game, and he's averaging 21 a game. And when they talk to him, they're like, well, you know, kind of how do you envision playing with us, blah, 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 and this is a high major program that's recruiting him. And he says, well, you know, I really want to go to the tournament, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And they kind of asked him, they said, you know, would you be comfortable coming off the bench or would you be comfortable being the fourth or fifth guy on the, well, you know, I've just, I'm used to kind of things running through me and I, I think I can really kind of put the ball in the basket at your level the way I've been doing it here. And the coaches were like, excuse me? We recruit McDonald's All-Americans. No disrespect to you, 
But if you think you're going to come to our place and get 20 shots and everything's going to run through you and it's going to be about you, it's not going to be. And so we wish you the best of luck, but, but you're just not the right fit for our school. And so I think schools are having a lot of trouble figuring out what does the kid want. But I think that with the case of Kentucky, it's so much more important um, because, again, when you go to Kentucky, it's the biggest stage in the sport. And it's the biggest stage in the sport, and kids want to come there. And as Calipari has said, you know, we don't want to be a hat on the table. We don't want to be a place that people use. You got to be part of the program. You got to be part of the team. You got to be willing to do what is necessary to have success. And so, because of it, um, I, I don't know. I don't know this kid's deal. But I'm just saying, in general, with recruiting transfers, you have to be ready to be prepared that the kid is going to want something more than, frankly, maybe he's capable of. And in the case of this kid, he said he wants to be able to, to showcase his NBA skill set. And I just don't know that at Kentucky, where there's a very specific way that big guys play, and oh, by the way, there's four other NBA prospects on the court at the same time, that that's the place. So it'll be fascinating to watch if this kid has even continued to be recruited by Kentucky, if he thinks Kentucky's a right fit, if Kentucky thinks he's a right fit for them. Uh, but it will be absolutely fascinating and uh, I'm just curious to see how it all goes down. I wish him luck. This is no disrespect to him. This is no disrespect to John Calipari. This is no disrespect to the Kentucky program. But just because I don't think that one kid is going to be an All-American at Kentucky is not an indictment on him, and it's not an indictment on the program. It's just kind of a reality of where I, I think the kid is and where I think um, you know, kind of Kentucky is in terms of his recruitment and, and just the recruitment of big guys in general. The biggest thing I would take away, Kentucky was very spoiled in a, in a lot of ways um, because of the fact that Nate Cicino was just the perfect grad transfer for them. And I know you would have liked a little bit more production, but he knew where he came from. He understood his role. It was never about Nate Cicino. And he wanted to be a piece on a very good team. You just have to be careful. I'm not saying this kid is or is not that but I just don't see the perfect fit the way that others do. And again, doesn't mean Calipari can't coach. Doesn't mean Kentucky's a bad program. It just means that, God forbid, there's one kid that I don't think is a perfect fit for that team. All right, let's move on. Let's, let's keep talking. Because there was another very interesting thing that happened in the sport of, uh, well, in college sports. And I talked a lot about on the last episode about college football and where we're at and where we're going. And I know I talk mostly basketball on this show, but for the people that have listened for a long time, as we get towards the fall, I used to cover college football for foxsports.com. I feel comfortable talking about the sport. I feel comfortable uh, talking about the history of the sport, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I wouldn't say I'm as plugged in in college football as I am in college basketball. It doesn't mean we can't have good conversations about what's happening. And I think college football to me is the most fascinating the most fascinating um, sport to talk about the long-term, when are we going to be back, all that stuff. Because uh, as I mentioned in the last show, what's really interesting is a couple things. First of all, this was the week that it felt like, okay, we're starting to have real conversations about the future. We're not trying to disrespect the people that are ill, the families that are grieving. That's not what this is about. But at some point, we have to have big boy conversations about the economy, job loss, um, and all of the things that are going to happen, that are going to need to happen to get 
the the society as a general society in general back to normal which of course in turn means getting sports back to normal and so i thought this was the first week because of the fact that the pga comes out and basically says look by the middle of june we expect to be running events there will not be fans in the stands but we will operate going forward um baseball came out with a very well reporters came out with a very interesting proposal about bringing everybody to arizona to play baseball at spring training sites where it'd be safe, where you could sequester people. College football, to me though, as I said on the last episode, is the most fascinating sport to kind of follow as it pertains to really just kind of figuring out what the next steps are to getting this back on the field. And if you want to listen to that whole thing, go back and listen to the last episode. I'm not going to do the big spiel, but the genesis of my argument, the genesis of the conversation was very simply this, is that what makes college football so fascinating and so much different than than all the other sports is that college football is dealing with issues that the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball aren't, which is very simply this. College football has no overarching body that is making unilateral decisions for everybody, right? Major League Baseball, everything comes from Rob Manfred at the top. Roger Goodell at the top of the NFL. Roger Goodell says the the NFL draft is come is still going on. Well, the San Diego or excuse me, the LA Chargers don't just get to decide we're not doing the NFL draft. College sports it's a different deal. You have different schools in different, you know, different campuses have different lockdown policies. Some school, you know, Liberty actually brought students back, but uh, some schools are completely closed through the end of July. Some are closed through June. Uh, certain states are not letting certain people in. If you come into the state, you have to quarantine. So every state is a little bit different, which makes college football so interesting, which I talked about in the last episode. But, 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 that did not stop Mike Gundy, the head coach of Oklahoma State, from just going on uh, what was a fascinating spiel to to he had a press availability on I guess it was Tuesday and this guy just really went off and first of all from the best I can tell he had a 20 minute opening rant which I mean come on AT can talk but a 20 minute opening rant shout out to that guy that guy's got some stamina his poor wife must be ready to get him out of the house that, that guy's incredible 20 minute opening rant that's on top of all the other questions that that he was asked but independent of relations with his wife he basically talked a lot about this coronavirus, and in the process, he came off, I'm going to be honest, as a little bit uneducated, um, you know, as a little bit, maybe he didn't have all his facts in line, but he made a couple statements that just, everybody on social media is there, oh my God, it's the worst thing he ever said, oh my God, he, it's like I said a minute ago with Calipari and Al-Qaeda, you would have thought that Mike Gundy uh, was a member of Al-Qaeda because he wants positivity about this coronavirus, and I'm not saying, again, to be abundantly clear, you guys are listening, I'm sure, with your friends and family, and I'm not saying that, that we, we don't need to be sympathetic of the people that are battling this illness, of the families that are battling it alongside them, of the people that have lost their lives. We all get that it's a very serious thing. But if you break down what Mike Gundy said, you take out the clunkiness, I actually really didn't have a problem with it. Because in essence, what he really said was, is that like, we just need to get college football back because it's really important to our communities, because a lot of jobs are enhanced, because it brings in tens of millions of dollars to the economy 
in these local towns and cities and that towns will be crippled, states will be crippled, schools will be crippled, athletic departments will be crippled without college football. That was essentially what he was saying. Now, I will admit it was clunky. I will admit he's not the best messenger. I will also admit, by the way, if I want facts on the coronavirus, I'll go to Dr. Fauci. I'll go to Dr. Burks. I'll go to somebody that has doctor in front of their name, not a dude that has a mullet. But let's go through just a couple of the things that he said that got people so riled up. First of all, he said, you know, the NCAA president's the, the NCA, the presidents of the universities, the Power Five Conference commissioners, the athletic directors need to be meeting right now and we need to start coming up with some answers. So people got mad about that because God forbid we start putting a plan together in place. And this is why where I don't think social media is reflective of real life. First of all, in real life, as I said a minute ago, UFC is planning on putting on a card here in the next couple weeks. They want to have fights. They want to do it safely. They want to protect their fighters but they want to have fights. Golf, as I said, has a plan to come back. Major League Baseball is putting together a loose plan to come back. So I don't have a problem with Mike Gundy saying that the NCAA needs to be putting together a game plan. It's not really that big of a deal that, God forbid, we want to move forward as a society and figure out what the heck is going on. How can we proceed? Is it possible to proceed? And oh, by the way, what are the steps? Because as I said a minute ago, it's not something that you can just do overnight. It's not something that you can, decisions that you can make um, in a week or two. There are different states involved. There are different campuses that are involved. There are different school presidents involved. And oh, by the way, everybody wants everybody to be safe. So by saying that we need to start putting a plan in place, I have no issue with that. In terms of everything else he said, and let's get to the big quote that got everybody so riled up because, oh my God, God forbid, Mike Gundy says something that isn't, that the world is coming to an end and that it's a disaster and you know we, we, we all need to go in our bomb shelters, okay? And again, remember what the messenger is, Mike Gundy. We wouldn't ask Dr. Fauci about how to run a spread offense. So Mike Gundy's opinion really doesn't matter, but let's get into his actual comments. So as I said, um, he starts by talking about the university presidents want to bring back stuff. Okay, cool. Secondly, by the way, he did also say, I am planning and I am hoping to have my staff back in the office on May 1st. So again, let's just look at the messenger with that. Not the best messenger. And in that case, what Mike Gundy said really doesn't matter. And you know why? Because whether Mike Gundy has his staff in the office or not on May 1st, it's not really up to Mike Gundy. He can, it's not wrong for him to be optimistic. But at the end of the day, it's going to be Oklahoma State University. It's going to be the state of Oklahoma. It's going to be the United States, the federal government deciding in some cases if it's even feasible. It's probably not, but I have no problem with him saying it because it's ultimately not up to him. As an example, I'll give you an example. Every year on Memorial Day, me and a couple buddies go to Vegas for just kind of a guy's trip, get away, drink a few beers by the pool, have a good time, bet on sports, whatever. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. That trip's probably not happening this year because guess what? We probably ain't going to be out of this. I'm probably not going to be able to travel state to state by May 25th. And if I am, uh, it's going to be limited and our hotel's going to be open and all that stuff. So whether I tell my wife, hey, baby, I'm leaving for Memorial Day weekend. It's not really up to me whether I leave. It's up to the state of Nevada. Are they going to let me in? It's up to the state of California. Are they going to let me leave? It's up to the hotels. Are they going to be open? It's up to the airlines. Are they going to be running flights? Not really up to me. Not really up to Mike Gundy whether it's going to be open on May 1st or not. I'll tell you this too. 
I've talked to coaches whose athletic directors have explicitly told them, you are not allowed to come into the facility. That's not Mike Gundy's choice. It's the athletic director's choice. It's the state of Oklahoma's choice. Then he said that, in my opinion, we need to bring our players back, which people go, oh, my God, you're going to put them all at risk. Well, first of all, here's what I need to tell you. Because, again, I've been on the phone with people. Guess what? There's already a lot of kids that are still on campus. They aren't in dorms. But if they live off campus, a lot of kids are choosing to stay close to school as opposed to going home. And there are good reasons for that, by the way. Check this out. These kids are all doing online classes. Some of them come from really bad backgrounds where they might not have access to the internet at home, where they might not have quiet space to do work. They're living in a home with five people in a two-bedroom apartment or whatever. So a lot of these kids are already on campus. By the way, you know what else they get while they're on campus? They get access to tutors while they're on campus. I had a coach tell me today, half of his basketball team is still on campus. They live off campus. It's not against the rules. There's no NCAA violation, to be clear. I don't want this clip being sent to Indianapolis. They are allowed to live off campus, but it's helping the kids because they can still get tutoring, because they have internet, because they have the quiet space to actually get their work done. Oh, by the way, you also bring the kids back to campus. You know what else? They get access to meal plans. They get their meals prepped for them. They get access to the best doctors possible. So God forbid something does happen, doctors are right there. And by the way, I'm not saying it will happen again either. Yes, Mike Gundy wants the kids on campus, but right now we all know you can't have a group setting of more than 10, let alone more than 50. So what does it matter if Mike Gundy wants kids on campus? Who really cares? He has nothing to do about it. By the way, he then says... They are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids, and they are healthy, and they have the ability to fight the virus off. This was a big one. Well, guess what? He's right. We're not saying that the death rate is 0%. He never said that no one has ever died. But statistically, just look at the facts. Even after all this data has been presented over the last three, four weeks, it is still overwhelmingly people over the age of 60, 65 with pre-existing health conditions. Doesn't mean that a kid can't get sick. Doesn't mean that a kid can't spread it. And again, the kids won't be back on campus amongst each other until it's safe. So like what he said isn't really wrong. It's not like totally right. But statistically, yes, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids in peak physical condition, they are not at as much of a threat as everybody else. And again, I'm trying to be sympathetic because I know people have passed away from this illness, but he's not wrong. And then the last thing was this. He said that if that is true, let's sequester them. Okay, we're sequestering everybody everywhere and continue because we need to run money through the state of Oklahoma. And oh my God, this is where everybody lost their minds. This is where Jay Billis came out of his Twitter hibernation. Oh my God, the unpaid amateur, blah, 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 blah. Jay Billis, chill out, bro. Go back to complaining about refs. Go back to this. Go back to that. Like, just calm down. Nobody is saying we're going to put them at risk. First of all, for everybody that says, oh, all the NCAA cares about is money. Well, guess what? The NCAA to date is the only organization that has canceled its championship event. Everybody says, oh, the NCAA. And listen, I've been more critical of Mark Emmert the last probably month than I have been previously, and I'm not carrying water for him, but say what you want about the NCAA and how much they care about money, they're still the only sport that has canceled their championship event. You know how much money they lost by not playing the NCAA tournament, but it wasn't safe. 
and so they didn't play it. So first of all, nobody's going to play anything until it's safe to get players back on campus, back in the dorms, back on the field in groups of more than 10. So stop with this nonsense about, oh, the unpaid kid. Nobody's putting their life on the line to play football. Stop. That's not what he was saying. And the last point, which is the most important, is he, again, was a clunky messenger, but he was not wrong. We need to continue to run money through the state of Oklahoma. Not the best verbiage, not the best way to put it, but his kind of big picture point was, we need college football because it's good for our local economy, it's good for our state's economy, it's good for our athletic department, and it's good for our university. That is not an incorrect or inaccurate statement. That is not being unsympathetic to all of the students, uh, all of the football players who aren't getting paid. Like, that's not, that's not being unsympathetic. Like, that's true. He said that in his case, in the state of Oklahoma, that the Oklahoma State football program, I don't know if this number is accurate, but he put it out there. over $100 million that that program will produce for the local economy and the athletic department over the course of their 12, 13, 14 game season, whatever it ends up being. He said it like when you add in, you know, everything, whether it's closer to actually 200 million is the number he put out. I don't know if it's accurate, but I don't think he's wrong. You know how much money these hotels make off of a college football Saturday in Tuscaloosa, in Baton Rouge, in Stillwater, in Norman, in Austin? It's astronomical, and it helps the whole economy. Hotels, restaurants, supermarkets for tailgating. These, that, that's not inaccurate. He's, he's factually correct. You know what else it helps? The rest of the athletic department. So if you're going to criticize Mike Gundy, and you're not in a rush to get college football back. And again, they're not going to bring it back until it's safe because, again, the NCAA is the only one that has actually canceled anything. Everything else is postponed. NBA's postponed. MLB's postponed. NASCAR's postponed. They're not bringing the kids back until it's safe. But the biggest loser in not having college football would be the rest of the athletic department. And listen, I know that we have a very awesome, diverse listener set of this show, and that's one of the things I love about the show old, young, um, whatever, just an incredibly awesome audience. And this will have long-term impacts in the sense of this. When I say we have a diverse audience, what I mean is I know a lot of you coach your son, coach your daughter, but not all of them play basketball. I don't know how many of your kids are going to be D1 athletes. Some of them play baseball. Some of them play softball. Some of them participate in gymnastics. Well, you know who's going to be hurt If Oklahoma State doesn't play football this year, I hate to say it, it's not the football program. It's going to be the gymnastics program. It's going to be the wrestling program. It's going to be baseball. It's going to be softball. It's going to be track and field. Oklahoma State needs Oklahoma to play, Oklahoma State to play football to fund the rest of the other sports. So I'm not saying that Mike Gundy was the best messenger of this. I'm not saying that everything he said was factually correct. And I'm not saying that he is the guy that we should listen to. And that's an important part too. Again, we don't talk to Dr. Fauci about running the read option. So why do we care about Mike Gundy's opinion? And I understand he's, he's a big public figure and you know Nick Saban has been very outspoken about the safety precautions and Roy Williams has been spoken. You know, like a lot of these guys are doing right by, by doing what is necessary to get the word out. And I'm not saying that I agree with everything Mike Gundy said, but again, this was a 45-minute press conference 20-minute opening monologue, shout out to his wife. I don't know how she deals with that, man. But 
what he said like wasn't wrong no matter how clunky it was. And again, I just had to defend the guy because the rest of social media is crushing him. All right. I think that's it for this little segment of today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. What a show. I just turned a BS grad transfer Twitter beef and Mike Gundy into 38 minutes of amazing content. Could, it, could anyone do that besides AT? We all know the answer. The answer is no. But I hope you enjoyed. Whether you agree or disagree, let me know. You can tweet at me at Aaron underscore Torres. Let me know what an idiot I am. But I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Really fun episode. I really enjoy these, these kind of topics that I'm passionate about. I enjoy when some of y'all come at me because it gets me defensive. I'm like one of Joe Exotic's tigers. I get in the corner. I want to fight back. I'm afraid of you. But it was a really fun show. Thank you guys for listening. And I want to remind you, if you're not already subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, do it on iTunes. Podcast Addict, which is where I download this show. Podcast Addict is for Androids. That's where if you have an Android, go. Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get the show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Again, thank you to our friend Mike underscore 2018 underscore Mike. Also, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you want to follow, follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And that's it. So shout out to Matt Harms. Shout out to Mike Gundy. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, which by the way, RJ Hampton's getting ready for the NBA draft. We'll talk about him, but shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And I'm telling you, you will love this interview with Mason Jones, University of Arkansas. Give it time. You're going to have a completely different uh, perspective on this kid, I think. And by the way, I would say this too, and I always tell you guys this. If you do enjoy the interview, don't be afraid to get on Twitter and tell these people how much they, you enjoy having, you enjoyed listening to them because it always helps me get them a second time, a third time, etc. So if you enjoy the Mason Jones interview, it is uh, at, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at Mason Jones 2. So let Mason Jones know that you appreciated his time uh, because he is awesome. And I think you'll really enjoy this. And that is all for today's show. As I said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And now from the University of Arkansas, honorable mention All-American, runner-up for SEC Player of the Year, and maybe the most fun interview, the most fascinating backstory I have heard, here is Mason Jones. All right, and joining me on the phone now, a gentleman I am so excited to talk about. He was an honorable mention All-American, first team All-SEC, many believe should have been the SEC Player of the Year from the University of Arkansas, Mason Jones. My man, what's going on? How you doing? Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to get have a good talk. <laughs> well, I think it will be a good talk, my man, because there wasn't anybody, uh, I don't think personally, this is my personal opinion, I don't think there's anybody that enjoyed watching me, uh, watching you play more than me this year. But, you know, real quick, obviously these are crazy times. Just first of all, I think a lot of Arkansas fans would just love to know, you know, how you holding up, man? How is everything? I, I would guess you're probably back in Texas. Um, just how, how are you? How are the family? How are things in these wild times? Uh, the family's doing good, you know. We are just coming back together, just enjoying time together. You know, it's good to see my mom and dad and my dog, Chandler. And having my sister come home a couple of days ago was amazing because I haven't really caught up with it. We all play basketball, so it's it's hard to keep up with all the siblings. But I'm enjoying it, you know, just coming home. I'm in Dallas, Texas right now, and I'm just continuing to work out, you know, just running on the track, you know, push-ups and set-ups, just doing things just to keep, just keep me going, you know, just keep the motivation and the journey still going. You know, it's during a tough time right now. But it's all in God's hand. You know, he's going to prepare everybody 
and just take care of everybody. So I just hope everybody at home being safe. Well, you just used the word journey, and I think it's a great way to kind of describe your story. And we'll get into the draft process and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to talk about your journey because it's kind of an incredible story. As you said, your sister's a professional basketball player. She played uh, at Texas A&M. As many people know, your brother played at Duke. Um, I got to ask, just point blank, and I hate to do it. Is it true you were like 285 pounds at one point in your in your younger days? Is that accurate? Uh, more about like 270, 275. Yeah, very accurate. And uh, so explain that. I mean, I saw that you didn't really play uh, much organized basketball. You didn't play at the high school level until your senior year of high school. Was it just you were a little bit out of shape? I mean, I I, I hate to ask, but it's kind of a crazy thing because you're this incredible finely tuned athlete right now. It's hard to see you with 270 pounds on that frame, man. Um, I just, you know, it was just a lot of eating, a lot of snacking, a lot of playing video games at night and not really doing nothing to work my body out, no moving, no nothing. I wasn't playing no sports. I was just being a regular regular person, going to school, coming home, eating, playing the game, you know, just doing all the things to get yourself fat. And it took me, it took me until senior year of high school to realize that I didn't want to, I didn't want to get called fat anymore and I wanted to take life more serious and, I kind of started taking it serious in high school as a senior, and then I really didn't take it serious still. And then I went to Linkier Prep, and then I went to junior college, and junior college is really where I found myself. You know, it was really a breaking point at junior college. I was like, either I'm going to break down or I'm going to go home. And I broke down, and I just started going crazy. And, and it's, it's just crazy how God works. You know, it's just he put me in all these situations for, to build my character. And to, to be where to every step stone I took is incredible. You know, MVP at junior college. And then for me to be 18, 30 year in SEC, to get that from the media is incredible. You know, it's just a journey that God has me going down. And for me to inspire people to never give up and just to keep going. And that hard work always pays off at the end. Regardless of what people stare back you, if you post it or not post it, it's just just continue to work hard because it's all going to pay off at the end of the day. Well, you said that you know you, you didn't really play sports uh, at that younger age. I mean, obviously, you just mentioned uh, that it's you know basketball is a big part of what your family does, kind of collectively. Um, were you playing in the backyard? Was it just not something that interests you? I mean, what flips the switch from obviously one you wanted to get in shape, but what flipped the switch from you know playing video games, hanging out, eating all that stuff to uh, play in your senior year and then, you know, just going forward because it's interesting to me that you said you didn't really play sports much growing up right up until that senior year of high school. Oh, it's just, um, to be honest, I just got tired of people calling me Matt Jones' little brother and Jordan Jones' little brother and he's a failure and he's not living up to the legacy wow. of my family. I was like, well, what can I do? Can I either, can I prove people wrong or can I just prove that they write about what they say about me? And, as me growing up, I always wanted to prove people wrong, and I feel like the chip has always been on my shoulder, and it's still on my shoulder. But I really, I definitely wanted to prove people wrong, and I definitely wanted to get my own name. And I feel like more people respect me and know me as Mason Jones now, and not as Matt Jones' little brother or Jordan Jones' little brother. 
that's incredible. So when you were growing up around town, I mean, obviously your older brother and sister had a ton of success, but you were deemed by some in your community as not as successful because you weren't a basketball player. I would just think that, you know, in this day and age, if, if a kid doesn't want to play basketball or if that's not what his interest is or whatever, that, um, you know, people would let a kid be a kid. But it sounds like in that community, there was an expectation you were going to be the next kind of great Jones player out of that family. Yes, sir. Definitely, definitely. And I didn't live up to the hype. And I kind of shied away from it. You know, I just, I said, I'm just going to not play basketball and just be my own person. And I figured out that it was just, you know, sometimes that I went through that time period, it was just, it really made me. It like, okay, let me sit down and find myself. Let me, who am I, God? Who, who do you want me to be? And it just takes a little switch to get you starting to get into the right direction. And me just not wanting to be my, be Matt Jones' little brother and Jordan Jones' little brother was the switch to like what I wanted to become. And I just wanted to carry that on and on through junior college, through prep, and through uh, Division One high major SEC. And I just wanted to let people know, like, Mason Jones is his own person, and I'm here to stay. It was you said a switch. Was there one moment where you looked in the mirror? Was there anything that you vividly remember as a turning point where you just said, "Enough is enough. I gotta, I gotta do something to change." I know you did talk about that change process, senior year, high school, prep school, junior college. But was there one moment where you looked in the mirror or where you had a moment of clarity and you said, "I gotta be doing something different"? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I was talking to my my big brother Matt, and we just talking one day. And he was like, Max, like, what are you doing? Like, like, what are you doing in life? Like, hmm. I want you to be, I want you to be better than me. And you're just not, you're not doing anything right now. And I really thought about that. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was just like, you're supposed to be out here being better than me, pushing me. And I feel like I'm not being pushed because you're sitting around playing video games and getting fat. And I was like, you're right, you're right. Let's get it, let's get it. And after that, it just switched, you know. I was still fat in high school, but. You can see, you can still see me starting to come on and starting to get the love for basketball. And then, like I said, right when I got to junior college, that's when I really like, okay, let's go. And then I wanted to continue it to SEC Arkansas because I felt like people were doubting Coach A for bringing me. And I wanted to keep proving people why I was building my name and to leave Arkansas the way I did and the way that all hard work is paid off, and for me to get all of the accolades through my head coaches, through all the coaches and all my teammates is incredible because, like I said, nobody really saw this coming from me this year, but I always saw it coming. I told my coaches I wanted to do it, and, you know, God always had a plan for me, so it's incredible to see all the things that's coming out. So I, I, I want to talk about the Arkansas stuff. I, I have one last question kind of about your childhood and all that stuff, and I hate to keep harping on it, but I think this is so important, Mason, because I think there are people that are going to listen to this and, and, and look at themselves and they may have an issue or they may be a little bit overweight or they may feel bad about themselves. I mean, um, you know, what were the first steps for you beyond just talking to your brother? Because, I, you know, Mace, this story is incredible, man, and I, I didn't really know all the background, so forgive me, but... I think there's going to be somebody listening to this that's maybe feeling a little bit overweight or a little bit down in this current climate. Talk, to, to, you know, tell that person what the first steps are, what the second steps are, because this is such a great story. And frankly, I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know nearly as much as you're telling me right now. Yeah, first step. First step is you got to believe. You got to believe that you can do it. You got to believe that you can lose the weight 
you got to believe that you can stay consistent on this journey. The second step is embracing it and doing it. You can't shy away from it. You got to take all the criticism that come with you. Got to you got to you got to speak to yourself the right way. You have to know that you want to be better, and that's what I want. I wanted my body to be better, and I wanted to actually go out there and show people that you can transform in a year. You can do this, and that people didn't believe you can. And it's just it's just crazy how I really I really stay positive every day. I had I had doubts about it, but I always found positive spots in my in my day. I always found ways to keep pushing. I always woke I always woke up at five AM, six AM to work out. I never complained. I had some days where I was tired, but I always fought through the tiredness. I always told myself that it's all gonna pay off. Everything that I did that the year I lost all my weight, it was it, I just stayed positive. And like I said, the one thing is you gotta embrace it. The second thing is you gotta do it. You gotta wanna be hungry. And I was hungry about it and I got it done. I never complained. I accepted everything that came with it, and I trusted God with the whole thing, and God was faithful to me, and I've been faithful to God, so, you know, he really blessed me with the opportunity to go to Arkansas, where people really thought I wasn't a high major D1 player, and I was able to prove a lot of people wrong through a lot of things. Yeah, it's crazy, because, and, and I'll get off this, I promise, but, you know, reading about, you know, your path to Arkansas, um, you know, you committed late in the spring, right after a visit, um, and it seemed like they were "quote unquote" only taking you because they had lost a couple guys in the transfer market, all that stuff. Talk about when you did commit to Arkansas. What appealed to you about that opportunity? I know you said playing on that big stage in the SEC, wanting to prove everybody wrong once again. Um, it was, you know, I wanted to play on at Arkansas because first Coach Cleveland and Coach A was was grateful enough to give me a scholarship, so. Just for me to get a high major D1 offer at an SEC school and them believing in me was was incredible. But I know coming in, a lot of people didn't have high expectations of me. People were still doubting me. Was he athletic enough to play at SEC? Is he shot? All that? Is he fast enough? It's like, okay, you see, as a player, you see all that. But, you know, I never took it as criticism. You know, I took it as, okay, let's work harder. And the first year I was at Arkansas, you know, I, I was 13 and 4, and it was, you know, it was an up-and-down year. You know, I went through a lot. You know, I learned a lot, actually. And it was just, to be honest, it was one of the years where, like, I really thought, like, I really thought, okay, this is what I want to do. This is this is why, okay, I'm here now, God. Like, what do you want me to do? And he told me, like, you got to work hard. You gotta, it's, it's not going to be given to you. And coming in as my junior year this year, coach, my coach, Coach A, got fired. And Coach Musk came in, and Coach Musk, I sat down with Coach Musk, and all Coach Musk, I wanted to do this. And I feel like I can be an all-first-team SEC player if I'm given the opportunity. And Coach Musk has told me, Mace, you just got to work hard. Work hard, and I'm going to I'm gonna lead you there. And all the coaches push me every day, and Coach Musk pushed me every day. And the ground got bigger. This My junior year, the ground got stronger. I was working out at 5 o'clock, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7.30 a.m., coming back out of the class, working out. I, just, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Coming in my junior year, I knew exactly what my goals was. I was really on a Kobe mentality. I knew that I wanted to kill SEC. I knew I wanted to put my name out there, and I did exactly what I did. And I did it the right way. I worked out. I grind. I watched film. 
I didn't do all the, I didn't do no party, I didn't do anything. It was just straightly focused on. And that's what that's what I did. And just watching I used to watch a lot of highlight videos on Jason Tatum, Paul George, Luca, Mono, just to just to get so much from their game and you can see it all in my game how I can score all three levels and people still question how do I do it. It's just I watch a lot of film and I'm a winner and I work hard to extreme and I know exactly what I want to do in life, and I know that I want to be one of the best to ever play. And I wanted to start off by leaving a good legacy at Arkansas, knowing that I was one of the best players, and I feel like I definitely did that. Well, you know, you just hit on a lot of the stuff that I was actually going to ask you about, but, you know, I, I talked to some of the guys on the staff throughout the season, and they said they had never seen a kid, and they had been around NBA players at the University of Nevada, Cody and Caleb Martin, who both started games for the Charlotte Hornets this year, uh, played for them last year, and they had other guys in the league and all that stuff. They said they have never seen a kid work as hard as you did last offseason. Now, maybe you had been doing that all along and they just weren't there, but take us through what was your what, – what, you know, you talk about meeting with Coach Muss – I believe I can be an all-SEC player. I'll ask you the same question that I just asked you a minute ago about the weight loss, and because it seems like you're a very goal-driven person, and you set a path, and then you get to it. So when you have a really good year, I, I you know maybe I'm wrong, but I believe you exceeded expectations in your first year at Arkansas, but then you do want to take it to the next level. What were the steps to get there? Because like you said, 5 a.m. every day, it seems like it, there were no days off for you last offseason. Oh. Oh, no, at all. And I'm a, um, Coach Rich, Coach Rich is our strength coach. Mm -hmm. And I told him that, Coach, I need to get stronger so I can finish better. Mm -hmm. And we got stronger every day. We got stronger every day. This is the strongest I've ever been in my life. And people wonder why, like, why do I finish so good? Why do I, how do I get back, get past people that's quicker than me? It's just, I know exactly what I'm doing as strength wise. I'm strong. I can get past people. I know. I know my body to a key. Like if, if if I could say that, I know my body. I know when to do the step backs. I know when to do everything. And just for me working out every day, it was really clockwork going in the game. I was working out with Jeremiah, Jerome, Hayden. We was working out almost every day. Every day, five a.m., six a.m. Come back after class, work out. Come back at night, work out with Khalil, Jalen. We just all working out, and just to see all. See all work out is just incredible. Just to see that all the stuff I was doing, that people was probably laughing at, it was tearing off. I was doing step, I was doing slow mo step backs just to see the preparation on it, mm. and then I moved to fast step backs, and then I did step backs, double step backs, in between the legs step backs. It's just preparation that goes to all the things that I showed this year. Step back behind the back. It's just everything that I did was not fluke. It's everything I did was all work and I feel like just it's just I really haven't peaked yet just especially knowing that I just started playing again and I just feel like I'm about to just really step into my zone where I show that I really am a true player and I know I'm one of the best in the country. Was there a moment this past season where you realized, wow, all this hard work is paying off? I mean, I looked it up, and I believe it was, uh, if my math is correct, nine 30-point games, two 40-point games. Was there a moment this season where you realized all this hard work paid off, and I'm a bad dude, these guys can't stop me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tulsa. Tulsa was definitely yep. the game where I was like, okay, okay, definitely. Tulsa was the game where okay, I'm I'm the I feel like I'm stepping into I'm stepping into that man where I wanna be guy and I was like, Go for it. 
Um, the thing about it was I still stayed faithful. I still went to church. And that was, that, that's one of the big, big things about me is I'm really a, I'm a really believer of God. And, you know, I really put everything in his, in his hands. And when I seen what he did against Tulsa, I was like, okay, God, I see where you want me to go. And I just took off from there. And Coach Mus and my teammates and all the coaching staffs and Khalil and everybody, they were just, okay, nice. But we just do what you do. And we want, like, we want to see you do best. And the crazy thing about it is my teammates, I always, I make sure my teammates are happy. I love my teammates there. I wanted them to be successful with me too. So it wasn't all about me. And I just wanted to make sure my team, my team wanted to win and I'm a, I'm a winner. And I want to do everything to win. And we came up short sometimes this year, but my team, you know, I love them. And we we gave a show every game. And Coach Nuss, and they coached their butt off every day. They put us in the right situations. Scout report every week. They gave us the best chance to win every game. And the coaching staff this year was incredible. I can't lie. They they put us all in positions to to be, be ourselves, you know. You see Desi, Isaiah. Adriel, you just see Reggie, Ethan, you just see everybody just coming to their little stepping stone more and more into at the end of the season, and it's incredible to see. That's just coming from more of a coaching staff, and Coach Mus just buying, we just buying into Coach Mus and Coach Mus letting us be players and trusting us on and off the court. Yeah, I've had Coach Muss on a number of times. Um, you know, talk about obviously him having an NBA background. I mean. Um, you know, listen, it was a, an up and down season. Obviously, there were injuries, which we'll get into just in a minute. But I mean, the role that, you know, I, I don't want to discredit anything that you did because you were in the gym every day at 5 a.m., but the role that the whole coaching staff did, because I know that they obviously had a ton of faith in you and it showed this year. You had a ton of faith in yourself and this this is back on your shoulders. But how about the role of the coaching staff this season? Oh, it was incredible. You know, it was just, I learned so much things from so all the coaches, Coach Moses. I mean, the way I was reading, uh, reading lanes on defense, I learned from Coach Moser. Um, Coach Crutch, the way I was getting all my shots off, I learned from Coach Crutch. Coach Williams just being mentally prepared for every game, being a, being a, being a pro and acting like a pro in, in game and out. Ruda just, Ruda being there for always for me. That's my guy for life. And Coach Musk, you know, Coach Musk just, Coach Musk being Coach Musk. He pushed me every day. He told me, "Mess, I'm gonna get the best out of you." He he talked to me out the practices when I fell down, when I had bad games. He always talked to me. He called me. So you know, just bounce, just having all the coaches there, and for them to care about me and want me to be the best player I can be is incredible. And just to have all the confidence from them, and for them to tell me to go out there and play like the best player every night it was incredible. And they have so much. I give them so much success because they are most of the reason why I had so much success. And there's a reason why everything goes goes away. Coach Nuss, he came, and he trusted me from day one. And I gave him everything I had, and God blessed all of us. How disappointing. You know, it's so funny you mentioned the Tulsa game because that was the game where I'm watching, and I see you, Isaiah, Joe, Jimmy, Witt. I said, this is, this is a real team right now. This is, this, is a, this is an NCAA tournament team. How disappointing is it that, Injuries happen, things like that. It, it's nobody's fault, obviously. Um, but I don't think you guys got to show the world how good you guys were because right when you were peaking, unfortunately, there were injuries. I thought you played well down the stretch. The SEC tournament happens. But you never got the real chance to show the world how good Arkansas was and how good Arkansas could be. I know, I know. It's, it's really tough that we had to go through injuries. But, you know, 
it really it really defined our season. You know, we we went down a five game went a losing streak, and we never we never routed. We never lost each other. We never we never gave up on the season. It was like, okay. He's still here. We still got more games to play, and the team and our teammates was like, "Okay, mates, let's go." And I was like, "Everybody, let's get it. We all to get together." And that's what we wanted to do. And as you see down the road, we started really clicking. Isaiah came back. He was playing good. Desi was Desi was getting right into it. You see Ethan Henderson and Bobby. You seen AJ Bailey doing good. You seen Jalen Harris going crazy. You just seen everybody doing what they do best, and we was having fun. And I feel like. If the season would have kept going, we definitely would have made a lot of noise in that SEC tournament because we, we were very confident going in. And I feel like we, if we were able to chance to get an SEC tournament, we would have made a lot of noise too. Just the depth that we don't really have a lot of depth. We got seven man, but that's close much decision. And I feel like our seven man was better than a lot of people this year. And I feel like we would have we would have did a lot of good things, especially with the the seniors and the guys we had. And then we had underclassmen that was doing good. Isaiah Joe, one of the best shooters. And then we had Desi coming off the bench. His choice, it was just incredible to see all the things that he did this year, you know. Starting off slow and then just killing it at the end is incredible. You know, just having Jalen Harris on the team, just everybody just doing what they do best. And Coach Musk is like, we just need everybody to play hard. And, and that's what we wanted to do, Coach Musk. I know it's not about you, it's about the team, but in the same way, I kind of feel like it was disappointing for you because I'm just going to say it, you can disagree if you feel like it, I don't feel like Mason Jones got the credit that he deserved for the season that he had based, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I definitely, I definitely agree on you with the, uh, I didn't get, you know, it's it's just a lot of things that go into it, but, you know, it's all in God's hand. You know, a lot of people can't say they let number one, that was first in free throws and free throws attempts, free throw, first in transition points. Uh, I was 22, you know, killed every player that he went, that <laughs> I killed every player that people said was better than me every game. And, you know, it just, I just had that chip in my shoulder that I wanted to show that I was the best every game. And I felt like I left him out there. But, you know, it's a lot of things that go with other things. So, you know, I just leave everything in God's hands. But I feel like I definitely didn't get credit a lot, but it's all going to pay off soon, you know. I'm just staying faithful, just working out and just letting God be. I know that my my production speaks for myself, and I'm going to let the production be the talking like always. Very good. A couple last questions. We'll let you go. How tough was that decision? Um, how, you know, what went into the process of making this NBA draft decision? Because obviously it goes without saying. We all know by now, but... This is a completely different process than we've ever seen. We don't know if or when you'll be able to get in front of actual NBA teams. How tough was that decision? I might as well ask, too, um, have you completely closed the door on returning to Arkansas? Is there a sliver of possibility depending on this process, or are you done, but mostly what went into the decision? Um, to answer the first question, um, you know, it was tough. It was a tough decision, you know. Just knowing that I could have had the chance to go finish what I started at Arkansas and go back my senior year, but I feel like I gave, I gave, I showed a lot of people exactly who yeah. Mason Jones was this year and for, for what's more to come. You know, I feel like I'm only going to get better from here. I still people was like Mace, this is a good year, but this is really an okay year for me. You know, I really, I feel like I could have did way better. And I could have worked on a lot of things better that I would look back at now and watch your film at the crib. Really? At home. So I would never so, guess you that. Know, I watched that. 
Yeah, I still watch a lot of film. You know, I'll be bored, so I watch, I watch a lot of film <laughs> at, the, at my house just to see what, you know, some things I can work on moving forward. But the decision was very tough. And, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about it. I prayed on it. And I just felt like it was my time to just, you know, just go, go accept bigger challenges. And I feel like I'm going to work hard enough to do that. And I'm just going to keep proving a lot of people wrong. But there's a lot of people that I inspired this year that really made my journey fun this year. You see a lot of people that tell me that I inspired them and you're, you're my inspiration is just incredible. It puts a, it puts a smile on my face and knowing that I'm doing it the right way and that it's all led by God. What are you doing during this time? I mean, you mentioned running on the track, push-ups, sit-ups. It's so unprecedented. And under normal circumstances, for people who maybe don't follow the NBA draft process, you'd already be in Miami or L.A. or Vegas, you know, working out with a trainer, maybe signed with an agent. What are you doing right now? Because it, it is such an unprecedented time. We've never seen this before. I'm just curious uh, how you're doing your best to stay in shape, given the kind of climate that we're in. Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just running, running – Miles all day and just doing shows and push up like you said, you know, just staying in shape, eating right, not getting not eating too bad, you know, just drinking a lot of water and just, you know, keep staying mentally and physically prepared because, you know, God's gonna God one day is gonna end all this and eventually the world is gonna go back to its normal world and that's when business get going again. I just wanna make sure I'm ready because I still have a lot to prove and I'm ready to keep proving a lot of people wrong. And I do think you're going to prove people wrong during this draft process. When you do get a chance to be in front of NBA personnel, whether it is via a a FaceTime conversation or whether it is in person, what are you hoping to show them about Mason Jones or or what do you expect to show them about Mason Jones? Um, Just just my personality, you know, just, you know, I'm I'm just very chilled and very, I just love to, I'm a funny guy, and <laughs> when it gets on the court, when it gets on the court, I'm all serious in business, and I'm a winner, and I love to just be myself. I'm not a player that give that have off the court issues at all. I'm a very calm and cool, collective person, and I'm about business. I'm gonna handle myself business business like, and I'm gonna treat myself like a pro. I'm gonna do pro things. I'm gonna you know make sure I work out every day and just keep doing what I do. I'm I'm going there strictly on business, and whatever happens, happens. But, you know, God always comes out the winner. And I know that I'm going to do a lot of preaching people wrong in this draft, and I'm excited to see where he takes me. But I'm excited to get in front of GMs and meetings and scouts and all that because he's just, you know, I just want to show people that Mason is a winner and Mason can do a lot of things that people say he can't do, but he really can do. And he showed it this year just to get more respect on my name, you know. Well, dude, and that's exactly what I was going to say, is whether it is because the team had injuries and struggled down the stretch, whether it be is because the draft process is slow, I'm just going to keep it real again. I see these NBA mock drafts, and I don't understand why you are in the position that you are in, and I don't think there are 15 players in this draft better than you, let alone however oh. many. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. So Come on now. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's crazy because, you know, Going through this process, a lot of people are saying the same thing. And now that a lot of people, are not, now a lot of big people are seeing it, like, okay, Mason is legit. Mason Jones is legit. And I just see, I just sit around and be like, Mace, now I'm saying, I went from Mason, I didn't get drafted to now I'm, people saying Mason's going to be top 20, 25. And I'm like, it's all God. You know, God's going to do his work. And I'm going to sit back and let people just watch him and let people see the real production. Because, like I said, 
I don't feel like there, there wasn't a better player than me in SEC this year. My numbers speak for it, and my numbers against every player I went up against is better. And then I feel like I should, you know, I feel like I should be top five players in the country. You know, it's all God's work. And, you know, I was blessed to make the Jerry Russell work award, not being on it all year. But like I said, uh, it's all God, you know, and I just let God handle things like that. And I don't really put my two cents on stuff like that. I just go out there and continue to control what I can control. And that's working out, playing hard, being the best mace, and proving people wrong again. Does it bother you at all that um, so much of the draft now has become, well, what can, what is a dude going to be in five years as opposed to, well, you know, you're 22 years old. First of all, I, I would consider you relatively new to basketball, even though you're a little bit older because of the fact that you didn't play till your senior year of high school, but that you did produce, that in those big moments when your team needed a shot, a bucket, they went to Mason Jones and they got it. Does it bother you? Is it just something that you're going to have to prove once again? I mean, what, what do you think about that? Oh, oh, not at all, not at all. It's just, it's just crazy how God works, you know. Um, people always doubted my whole life. I went to junior college and got an MVP, and we went to the, the lead eight of the conference, tur- not conference tournament, national tournament. I went to Arkansas, and people doubted me, saying, Mace not going to do this. Mace can't be a player. He's going to be a bench role, a role player. Okay, I walked out AP player of the year, arguably the best player in SEC in my junior year. And, it, you know, it just keeps going, you know. I have goals that I want to do in the NBA that hopefully God blesses me with. And I know that once I get there, I'm really going to show that, okay, Mace's game is really smooth. He has a lot of a lot of people, a lot of players, a lot of player intangibles, other intangibles just in Mason's game. You know, I have a lot, a lot of Jason Taylor in me with the separation. Yeah. And the step backs and knowing how to use angles. And then I have a, I have a lot of Luca off the pick and roll, just knowing what to do, when to pass it, when to get people on my hip. And then to finish it up, I just got a lot of Paul Pierce and Mama Kenobi finishing moves, you know. Just knowing how to finish, knowing how to use your body, knowing when to switch to the left, knowing when to switch to the right, when and knowing to go to the other side. Just know, those are things that come and watch your family a lot. It's just, you know, just studying the game. And the more serious I got with the game, the more serious I put in. And you can just see that if you put serious work in, it's all going to pay off on the court. And to be honest, I'm not going to lie, college, it kind of got a lot of, it got a lot easier this year. You know, I feel like 30 balls was just easy. And I feel like, you know, people expecting me to score 40 or 50. And I'm like, okay, let's be realistic. I'm getting double and triple teams every game. I'm getting double team to triple team every game, but I'm still doing I mean, it's just the way that Coach Muss and my teammates and we all just put in the work. You know, my teammates are still working out, Coach Muss and them are still going crazy. It's just the fact that we all everybody in Arkansas building put in work and God blessed us. And like I said, it was just sorry it was a sorry ending, but God has way more bigger things for me, Coach Muss, the team, Arkansas, the coaching. See, everybody that was there in that Arkansas building this year, I truly believe we all have bigger things coming ahead. Mason, this was about as fun as I've ever had doing an interview, man. It was unbelievable. Uh, first of all, I'll just ask, have we missed anything about your journey, about this process, anything else that an Arkansas fan should know, that an NBA front office member should know, anything that we haven't hit on? Because I feel like we hit on pretty much everything. Um, I just feel like, you know, I just, like Arkansas fans, I just want to know, like, I truly love them, man. Like I get, like they would, they gave me some of the best 
excitement of my life, you know, just give, for them giving me, giving a kid that's been through so much and they embrace the hand with open arms is amazing. You know, they don't understand that I really love going out there and playing in front of Bud Walton Arena every game. And I gave them my best and I, and we all gave them their best. And I just wanted to show them that I want to thank y'all for bringing me here and I want to keep, I want to keep bringing y'all back because I know that y'all love watching Arkansas basketball and I love being here. And just for the GMs, I just want to let them know that I'm for real, you know, I'm, I'm Mason Jones is here to stay. And I just feel like I haven't peaked and this is, this is an okay year, you know, but I feel like I could do way better and I know I'm going to do way better. And I know that God has a lot of things in store for me. So I feel like I'm still a top 25 player in this draft and a lot of people are starting to realize that now. So I'm just going to let everything I'm going to let everything just play out, and I'm just going to let everything play, play in God's hands. I'll just tell you this. I don't know how anyone could listen to this interview, the journey that you had from where you started, where you are now, how much you've improved. I don't know how anybody could listen to this and not say that that is a kid that I want as part of my organization, and I'm willing to use uh, whatever draft pick it is to get a Mason Jones, University of Arkansas, uh, dude, you know, the people that will listen to this interview know what special of a season you had, know what you did for that Arkansas program and the community. Uh, you should be incredibly proud, man. But thank you so much for the time. Hope we get to do this again soon. Best of luck during this draft process. It was a ton of fun, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon, my man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.